1: Hello there and welcome to the fourth and final in our series of Christmas and New Year podcasts with guest presenters. Today it is the cultural impresario Jasper Hope. He worked at the Royal Albert Hall in London. He was the launch chief executive for Dubai Opera and now he is an advisor to the Royal Commission for Riyadh City, specifically to do with the new opera house in Riyadh. This is our conversation.
2: We are pleased to welcome into the studio this morning our fourth and final Christmas guest co host.
1: That man will be no stranger to that piece of music. He is Jasper Hope, advisor to the Royal Commission for Riyadh City. Jasper, good morning. Thanks very much indeed for being with us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. As the former chief executive of Dubai Opera House and now heavily involved with the new Opera House in Didier in Riyadh, can you name that tune?
3: Uh, yeah, that was, um, <laughs> that was our favourite Barbara of Seville uh, Figaro. It was indeed.
1: So uh, we're going to get
3: to Opera
1: House's throughout the show this morning. You're here until 10 o'clock and we'll get to your work at Dubai Opera House and the work that you've been doing for two or three years now in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia and the plans that they unveiled just about a week, 10 days ago for the new opera house there, which looks spectacular. But we're going to start with a bit of a history lesson. You made your name as one of the senior guys at the Royal Albert Hall concert venue in London, your native country. But actually... You were not born in the United Kingdom, were you? You were born in South Africa. I was doing a bit of homework on you this morning. Your father, a noted author in South Africa, Christopher Hope, uh, but I read—can tell me how accurate this is—that effectively you and the he and you and the family and your brother and your family moved to the United Kingdom in the 1970s when you were fairly young because his effectively anti-apartheid literature, did not go down well with the
3: authorities. How accurate is that portrayal? Uh, That is absolutely accurate. Um, We moved to the UK in uh, kind of early to mid-70s. My father's first book uh, was banned uh, by the authorities in uh, South Africa, and it was made very clear to him that if he was to continue writing in a similar vein, basically... uh, heavily satirical uh, pieces, both journalistic and uh, fictional novels. If he was going to continue to do that, uh, then there would be a lot more trouble to come. And uh, my mother and he made the decision to move my very young brother at the time, and and I I was about four or five, uh, to the UK uh, to enable him to write in safety.
1: Do you have memories of South Africa?
3: I have childhood memories, and I have... uh, Been back many times since, both personally and professionally. Um, I have a lot of cousins and and extended family uh, that I'm able to visit and have been able to visit over the years. And as I say, I've been able to work there a couple of times uh, quite memorably over the years. So you
1: you forged a career, latterly, in the cultural industries. and I, I get the sense that it was quite a cultural household that you grew up in. You, Royal Albert Hall, Dubai Opera House, now in Riyadh as well. Your brother, Daniel is a musician of some note Daniel Hope the the violinist and I know actually you did bring him out here to the the Dubai Opera so I'm going to ask you about that environment that you grew up in first of all let's hear from uh, Daniel now this is his rendition of Vivaldi's Four Seasons like growing up? You you run opera houses. He's a concert violinist.
3: Uh, Yeah. Uh, My mother was a a very successful, very famous music manager and agent uh, for many years, and my father was an author. So absolutely a a cultural uh, house in which to grow up. Um, A fantastic family environment, but one that was full uh, not only of uh, music being made and and books being written, um, but also friends visiting all of whom were also cultural figures from various different uh, creative industry. So, uh, uh, a real mix, but a, a great um, environment from which to appreciate a range of different cultures, something that I've been able to continue with in my own career ever since.
1: What kind of things was your, your mother promoting?
3: So, she was Yehudi Menuhin's manager for about 25 years. Uh, she formed a, a very large agency uh, in the UK called Anglo Swiss. At their height, I think they had about 400 uh, artists uh, under contract, um, and it was eventually uh, sold. Um, and she continued, uh, continues to this day, with just a very small number of artists uh, that she looks after personally. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was interesting for me to see, I guess, from that not just the uh, the cultural um, world, but also the business world. You know, she was able to uh, create a company. This is in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, which became very successful, uh, a real leader in its field, and from which I could see that there was a, a business potential to the cultural environment that I'd always known.
1: How, what, what was the extent of your musical talent or performing talent?
3: Highly limited. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, when you have a, a younger brother, you know, Daniel is four years my junior, I think he was onto his third instrument, uh, and And excelling at it, you know grade eight and above by by the time I was about ten or eleven, um, and at that point in my life, other things started to come along, you know school became more important, sport became more important, uh, and other things. Uh, made me realize that perhaps uh, being on the stage was not something I was destined to to be able to achieve
1: so what what if you had a thing in the performing arts? what was it? was it music, was it drama?
3: I sang in the church choir, I acted a little bit uh, and I played the piano, but none of them to a tremendously high standard. It was just that they were part of my um, developmental years
1: and it 's interesting that you mentioned sport there because again, going through your career your your first gig was with img which is an events promotion company but best known it started off as a a sports management company it does more than that now how important was sport when you started off your career
3: it it wasn't the sport that drew me img uh, absolutely was always best known uh, for the sport and sports stars that it uh, represented and promoted but Uh, there was a a cultural angle. Mark McCormack believed what he was able to do with sports stars, he would be able to recreate uh, in the classical music world with people like Kiri Takanoa and Jose Carreras, uh, and he formed a division specifically to do that, and that was what I was employed to, to help with. Did you work with Mark McCormack because he died some time ago didn't yeah. he I mean he
1: was I mean just remind us who he is and then your experience with him
3: so Mark McCormack uh, was the founder that I would say of the of the modern commercial sports industry. Uh, he was uh, the um, lawyer to Arnold Palmer back in the '60s and uh, he created uh, the business kind of endorsement environment uh, around which uh, athletes of all kinds were able to um, generate significantly larger sums of money than they'd ever been used to. So Arnold Palmer was one, uh, Jean-Claude Killy was another, the skier, and various other personalities from the uh, 60s and 70s. And it grew into this uh, colossal uh, worldwide company that handled uh, sport, entertainment, and then television. And those three uh, aspects of the company were all very important. And, And the entertainment one that I was involved with, uh, began around classical music, it grew into other genres of entertainment as well, and, and indeed now IMG uh, handles anybody and everybody uh, you know, right across the, uh, the performing arts. Our guest this morning, our guest Christmas co-host, is Jasper Hope.
1: More from him to come, not just in the next 15, 20 minutes and half an hour or so, but he's with us through till 10 o'clock this morning. He's going to be talking about his career, how he moved to Dubai, we will also get, and Brandy Scott will not forgive me oh. if we do not, what will we get to, Brandy Scott?
2: We're going to get to Jasper's gift to the world of culture and sport, which is the mix that is chess boxing.
0: All of that to come on The Business Breakfast. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite sized Business Breakfast.
2: We're listening to The Business Breakfast on New Year's Eve. Happy <laughs>
0: New
2: Not New Year's Eve. I'm a couple of days ahead of myself. I was trying on the sequins before dawn this morning uh, for a, uh, a party this evening. Uh, clearly, the rest of me has not caught up yet.
1: Well, and, and you told me th- this morning that the reason you were trying on your sequins this morning, before the show, about 4am, was that... Someone... to they
2: could still do up after Christmas. <laughs>
1: That's A Bit impressive. hit and miss that someone invited you to an early New Year's Eve party which you thought, well, it'll start about 5pm on New Year's Eve but actually early means two days early, as in tonight.
2: Yes, which I discovered when I found a... WhatsApp message at 4am this morning.
1: So you're a little bit off kilter with your timings at the moment. We'll forgive you that.
2: Yeah, I am indeed. Let's see where I end up on New Year's Eve itself. Uh, And let's see how much we're all paying for it and who is going out. That is our mission this morning. Uh, We've been speaking to the guys from Black Lane. Really interesting. But I hadn't thought that the chauffeurs are going to have to be in position before those roads close. So there's a really sort of almost inefficient Six or seven hours that they're they're sitting around, particularly in the downtown area, because they need to get in.
1: Yeah, that surprises me. And it surprised me, given that, that it's as cheap as it is. Because just to recap, our last guest from Black Lane, the chauffeur company, was saying it's going to cost you about four or five hundred dirhams to get a chauffeur to take you home from downtown on Sunday night, New Year's Eve. They'll leave downtown about 1 a.m. when the roads start reopening. But the chauffeur has got to be there with the car from 3 p.m. before the roads close. And that's, I mean, that's what, eight or nine hours, isn't it, of an expensive car and an expensive driver? sitting around doing nothing. I'm, I'm surprised you're not paying more for that dead time.
2: It was an interview full of surprises. That surprised me. Also, when he sort of said training for the chauffeurs, I thought, yeah, yeah, of course you're going to say training for the chauffeurs. But effectively, they're doing some kind of Dubai version of the knowledge, aren't they? To figure out which roads are open, which are closed. If you're dropping someone off somewhere where the roads are closed, where is the closest point that you can take them so they don't need to walk too far? But I could see from our Christmas guest co-host's face, Jasper Hope, that he was surprised by the massaging seats.
3: Yeah, not what I was expecting, not Something I would necessarily order, but um, why not?
1: So if we look at New Year's Eve in the downtown area, and, and as our last guest said, Nicholas said, it's become one of the global spots for New Year alongside Sydney Harbour Bridge, Times Square in New York. Maybe not quite at that level yet, but certainly getting there. And during your time at Dubai Opera House, you were part of that process weren't you of putting that part of dubai very much on the on the map not just for local and regional tourists but but globally as well and making it a global spectacle the kind of place that cnn cuts to on new year's eve you know starts at the sydney harbour bridge and then you know gradually goes west and dubai is now one of those places in the exploding
3: burj khalifa
2: yeah what did you actually have to think about come new year's eve jasper and your tenure at the opera house
3: so it was very important from the beginning that we included the opera uh, in the downtown celebrations. Um, at the, the tradition of having a New Year's Eve event uh, was something that we started uh, right in the first year, uh, an opportunity for people to go somewhere other than a hotel uh, for a different kind of evening that included music. F&B, of course, some dancing, uh, and then the chance to take in those spectacular fireworks. You've got prime position underneath the Burj Khalifa, opposite the Dubai Mall, in a beautiful building, and a great excuse to dress up. So it was really important. It was something we we started early, uh, and it continues to this day.
2: And it's a good example of one of the things that Rich and I were talking about yesterday when we were thinking about your guest in here on The Business Breakfast, um, is the fact that the Dubai Opera House is not just for opera. Absolutely. And the, that's your legacy, I would argue.
3: Well, th- thank you. I mean, <clears throat> opera uh, and opera houses, of course, can be used for opera and should be and, and are, uh, but that is not their only purpose. And from my perspective, the variety that one can inject in a programming sense into a building liked by opera uh, is what will make it successful. That That is what will draw these days the widest possible audience uh, to find an accessible venue that they can enjoy a quality evening. The type of music is almost irrelevant.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been to iftars at Dubai Opera. I think we both have,
1: Rich. I've never done an iftar there, but I've done various things. I've watched a movie there with you when the Elton John biopic launched. And there was not an orchestra there playing along to Elton John songs, but there was but there a was band a little, before. Yeah, yeah. Um, I watched. I was there a few weeks ago. I watched Macbeth, a very trendy modern interpretation of Macbeth. Um, I've I've watched Aha. Less said about that, the better, to be honest. But but yeah, a whole a whole bunch of stuff going on. Now, I've been to one opera. It's not really my thing. I'm I'm not going to lie. But Jasper, one of, I, I read an interview with you. Recently, um, and you said it's very important, whatever venue you're at, whether it's the Royal Albert Hall or the Dubai Opera House or Didier, you can't be, to use your phrase, an opera snob.
3: No, I I take that very seriously. I mean, opera opera is an expression of artistic excellence and opera houses are expressions of artistic excellence. They incorporate all of the performing arts, all of the creative uh, arts. And they're highly complex. Opera is not easy to listen to sometimes. It can be very difficult to perform and to, to enjoy. Um, but it is not the only art form. And you have to be able to uh, show that there is a variety of cultural importance when you have a, a national symbol like a, an opera house, like a Royal Albert Hall. Uh, and the stages that you, you, you're you provided with should host the world's greatest artists, whatever type of music or entertainment they they.
2: Oh Well, we may have a chance to show some of just that on the show this morning. We're being offered from yesterday's Christmas guest co-host, the CEO of Dubai Airport's Paul Griffiths, footage of Jasper doing the conga around the Opera House one New Year's Eve. (laughs) Would we like the video? Yeah, totally, Paul. Please send. Right, that's just spiced up this morning's television.
1: But on on the subject of making an Opera House about much more than opera, we joked earlier on about when you were at the Royal Albert Hall, you were responsible for introducing Chess boxing uh, to a a, a storied cultural venue, which, as its name suggests, is a combination of people playing chess against each other, but also boxing against each other. I've dug this out of the archives. This is a guy called Chris Levy, who I'm sure you know. He is a chess boxer and he has competed at the Royal Albert Hall. This is him describing how it works. You've just been going flat out for two minutes. You've been trying to knock the other guy out. He's been trying to knock you out. The adrenaline's flowing. Then you've got to sit down,
3: focus, be objective, think about the position very deeply and strategically.
2: Chess boxing.
3: Yeah, well, so the story around chess boxing at the Royal Albert Hall uh, is a little more detailed. The the venue was not the main auditorium. Uh, The venue was the loading bay. And... As part of uh, the, the changes that were introduced in the time I was at the, at the hall, um, we decorated the loading bay. We gave free reign to a group of street artists to come and provide a, a graffiti masterpiece uh, featuring artists that had appeared over the, at that point, 145 years of the hall's history uh, and create us a new venue the loading bay where you know everything for the building uh, shows food everything comes in and out of uh, got a new life uh, and as such we tried to come up with a series of events uh, that would fit that kind of environment and chess boxing uh, was one of the first i think 2012 um totally different audience again about making these places accessible to people uh, the introduction of the graffiti wall uh, and the introduction of events like chess boxing just allowed us to show a different side to a historic place Uh, Jasper Hope is an icon of the cultural industries. He worked at the
1: Royal Albert Hall in London. He was the launch CEO of Dubai Opera, and he's now heavily involved in the new Opera House and other cultural ventures in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Jasper, I'm going to take you back to the night when Dubai Opera House opened. You were the, the launch CEO, so you arrived before that to help set up the Opera House, but it was 2016 that the Opera House raised the curtain for the first time. Have a listen to this. This is Plácido Domingo. And I know at the time, both yourself and also people like Mohammed Alabar of MR Properties, the company behind the opera house, saying this is more than just <laughs> another venue in Dubai. Having an opera house is a significant moment in the evolution of a city. Why is that so?
3: I think um, having a place or, or ideally places that are cultural destinations uh, rounds off the soul of a city. It allows more things to happen more people to uh, enjoy a different aspect of the entertainment or nightlife that a, a city can offer and in dubai specifically whilst it had been uh, quite outstanding in certain areas in the in the cultural field it was you know behind the curve uh, and having a transformative venue for the performing arts was something i think many people agreed had been missing And having a venue that was multifunctional and able to cater for so many different genres uh, was exactly what was needed at the time. Now, we mentioned earlier on that part of the
1: reason you were brought in was because at the Royal Albert Hall, you were very keen to bring in a diverse range of acts. It wasn't just going to be opera and ballet and high culture. We joked earlier on, (laughs) we didn't joke, we talked about chess boxing being introduced at the Royal Albert Hall, and that was part of your, 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 your philosophy and your mandate. During your time here... Obviously, it was a learning curve. What worked particularly well? What didn't work particularly well for, for this audience? And perhaps even if you look at the one of the other opera houses in the region, Muscat as well, which has a, a very fine opera house, what worked in, in a venue like that in the Gulf as well and what doesn't work so well?
3: I think all, all of these venues, uh, and indeed the ones to come in Riyadh, uh, are, are different and they require a different programming policy. Ultimately, it's all about who who is your audience, and understanding who those people are and what they want is part of that learning curve that you you just mentioned. In Dubai specifically, obviously, we have a very high uh, and varied expat population. We come from all over the world, and most importantly, people come from places which are uh, used to having cultural performance, And, and whether that's dramatic art or musical art, whether it's high art in terms of opera and ballet, uh, at least they come from a tradition of going to see a show, going to the theater, going to a concert, going to an occasion in a performing arts venue. That's not necessarily the case in somewhere like Riyadh, where there hasn't been that tradition. There isn't a massive expat population. It's a different uh, you know, dimension to to what is going to be required. Probably more similar, in a way, to Muscat, which uh, has a more local audience. It does attract tourists to the performances there, but it made a decision uh, to be a high-class artistic venue. It doesn't really do rock and pop shows. It certainly doesn't do the variety of things that somewhere like Dubai Opera does. Um, And choosing uh, what goes on your stage, what should be curated in your program, that is the essence of the job. And there's obviously cultural sensitivity, and that is true wherever
1: in the world <clears throat> that you are, but, but particularly so here. For example, one of the things that I enjoyed at Dubai Opera was the comedy music called Spamalot, the, the Monty Python production. This is what it sounds like.
0: Always look on the rise.
1: I love Monty Python. I grew up with it. I love the performance. But it can be controversial, not just here, but elsewhere. There are jokes about religion. There are jokes about relationships. Yeah, even the, the name of the show, Spamalot, is a reference to a certain meat product, isn't it? How do you navigate these in, in different parts of the world?
3: I think that is absolutely a. Uh... A condition of living, uh, certainly in this region, is understanding those sensitivities. Uh, again, understanding your audience and what is sensitive and what isn't. There's nothing wrong with comedy. It's perfectly fine to, to have a laugh and it's certainly fine to uh, bring uh, productions from all around the world in all these different genres. Um, but there are sensitivities and you have to be aware of them and you have to even self-censor, you could call it. But it's it's not done in a kind of Uh, in a way that I think is negative. It's in a way that's positive. You you have to choose when things can be introduced and you have to be aware that there may be consequences if you try something too early and and I would recommend avoiding those.
1: Are artists, or to what extent are artists, open to tweaking Mm. their performance based on where they are in the world, whether it's the cultural sensitivities in Dubai or Riyadh or perhaps if they were in Indonesia or southern parts of the United States, wherever it may be.
3: Wh- how do those conversations go? They're relatively easy to have. Some artists are more uh, open and receptive uh, to having them than others. Others uh, are, are adamant that they will not change the content of their performance. Uh, but most I have found in my career, and certainly in the in the time here in Dubai, and more recently now in Riyadh, we, we had a comedy festival uh, over the course of this year, and having those conversations with uh, comedians, about what is and what is not uh, going to find a, a receptive audience locally is an important part of the preparation, and, and most of them are absolutely fine with that. They understand that everywhere is different. Our guest this morning is Jasper Hope. He is the fourth and final of our Christmas
1: co-hosts on the Business Breakfast this 2023 festive season.
0: Just the highlights. This is the bite-sized Business Breakfast. I'll stand-
1: Taylor Swift, the Time Person of the Year for 2023. Uh, Jasper Hope, let me ask you about Taylor Swift, if I may, as someone <laughs> who's been in the entertainment industry for several decades. You were born into the entertainment industry. We were talking about this earlier. Your mother was a, a, a promoter in the 1970s and 1980s. Mm-hmm. The Era's Tour, by common consensus, is the world's first $1 billion music tour. There's been a spin-off movie as well. She's on the front cover of Time magazine. You've seen hype about music artists before. Is Swift Mania anything different or is she just the latest incarnation of something that's been happening for years?
3: Uh, She is the latest incarnation, um, but she has lasted uh, a long time. You can't accuse her of being a flash in the pan. This is not the first tour that she's done. It's not the first uh, series of successful Uh, albums and concerts that she's uh, been involved with it's been a a phenomenal rise and it just continues to go from strength to strength it's extraordinary but we don't see the eras tour in the middle
1: east do we we know she's done the united states Mm. europe is happening as well to what extent can we expect to see artists of this caliber coming to the middle east anytime soon not in an opera house she would need a a bigger venue than that it would be a a
3: stadium Mm. probably we're not really
1: on that circuit yet, are we? Well,
3: no, we, we are uh, rarely visited by artists at that level. Uh, it does happen. You know, Ed Sheeran is coming uh, in the early part of next year. Um, that, I think, will encourage similar-level artists uh, to look at the UAE in the future. What will also happen is as the, the region develops, as Saudi gets venues that can take artists like that, a touring circuit can emerge uh, that includes a number of different countries, from India all the way across to Turkey and it provides a you know, legitimate touring route uh, for artists to uh, engage in extensions to their European tour or to use it as a, a stepping stone on the way to Asia. It becomes much more economically viable and, and that's when you'll see the, you know, the rise of the, uh, those level concerts here in the, in the UAE.
2: That is fascinating. I'm looking at the list of who is touring in 2024, big two is Swift oh. topping the lot. Three hours dancing in glittery boots. Uh, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band is on the road as well. Uh, The remainders of Girls Aloud and Take That as well are going around um, stadiums. Olivia Rodrigo, The Pit Shop Boys, touring mid-year and Simple Minds as well. It's interesting what you say, just one venue's not going to cut it. There has to be multiples to make it what worth the while.
3: Yeah, generally speaking, I mean, of course, there can be a one off uh, occasion, there can be a festival opportunity. But generally speaking, uh, you know, this is a business. And that's about uh, controlling one's expenditure and maximizing one's revenue. And the opportunity to be in a region for a longer period of time to play multiple dates in that region is much more effective uh, for the people managing the, the finances around those tours. What would be the critical mass that we'd
1: need <coughs> for the, for the Middle East to be on that circuit? You mentioned a few cities there. Dubai would be one of them. Maybe Abu Dhabi as well. Uh, Riyadh obviously would be one of them. You mentioned Turkey as well, Istanbul. That's what three or four. That's probably not enough. Uh, Is it, Jasper? No,
3: no, no, three or four probably isn't. But if you add uh, Mumbai, if you add Jeddah, if you add Cairo, suddenly you start to get, uh, and it may be multiple nights in some of those cities, you, you start to get a, a sufficient volume of business uh, which will really, really attract people. Uh, let's talk about what's going to happen
1: in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia. We had the the artist's impressions released just about 10 days ago of the Didier Opera House. Mm. And I call it the Opera House, but it's... it's from what I understand, it's not just one venue. The Dubai Opera House is one venue, is it not? And, and it's a, it's a, a fine venue, but this is four venues in one. This is almost
3: a, a campus, I would say. Yes, this is much more of a performing arts uh, centre. The the Dubai Opera, as you say, it's it's all under one roof. Uh, it's a very flexible auditorium, um, but it's just one room. the The Royal Doria Opera House is going to be four venues. There will be a main auditorium and then three uh, subsidiary venues. That will allow uh, an enormous range of flexibility in terms of the programming uh, different sizes and, and different types of entertainment uh, can be promoted under one roof and the place uh, has the size to be able to attract all sorts of people you know during the day as well as to the to the shows and for educational purposes, which is a big part of the the future of uh, culture in Saudi Arabia
2: what's the dream list Jasper if do i don't know <clears throat> Opera House CEOs have bucket lists, and who would you like to take to Saudi?
3: I think it's a little early to to kind of spell out exactly who's going to be on the program in the early years. If you could
2: have anyone, though.
3: I think what's important uh, is finding quality that people can recognize, and very often that comes from uh, international brands. That can be individual artists or it can be collaborations uh, with other Opera Houses around the world maybe with the Met or with Covent Garden in London or with the Paris Opera, you know, those are names uh, that have been famous for several hundred years and for very good reason. And having an opportunity uh, to liaise with them, to partner with them, to collaborate, to co-produce and to show their work in your country, I think, is a very important stepping stone that uh, Saudi will be able to offer. Um, Individuals, There is always a list of the best singers uh, from around the world um, and every opera house wants them. The trouble with them is they are in such enormous demand and their diaries are booked three or four years ahead so the planning has to take place way in advance if you want them.
2: Hamilton is arguably the biggest musical or has been the biggest musical in the world. It's coming to Abu Dhabi in the new year. What are the musicals to watch after that? What's going to be the next Hamilton? Hamilton.
3: Uh, the one I have enjoyed most recently uh, in uh, London, it's also in New York, is Six, about uh, the Six Wives of Henry VIII, a fantastic, uh, very contemporary kind of girl power uh, production. Um, th- there are lots of things that, you know, the, the London theatre scene, the New York theatre scene are fantastic places of evolution. And you have to visit them regularly. You have to enjoy the variety of what they have to offer. And when plays, uh, when plays and, and musicals uh, are able to tour, when they kind of break through that barrier of uh, being able to uh, to operate outside wherever the home is, um, they are worth taking in. And if you have to travel to Abu Dhabi or if you're lucky enough to have them come to your city, they are definitely
0: worth the opportunity to enjoy.
2: It's my birthday trip.
3: This
0: is the bite-size business breakfast exclusively on dubai i1038.com. Our
1: guest presenter this morning, the fourth and final in our series of Christmas guest hosts on the business breakfast is Jasper Hope. He was the CEO of Dubai Opera when it launched and was for several years. Before that, he was at the Royal Albert Hall in London, and he's currently advisor to the Royal Commission for Riyadh City and is involved in the Opera House in Riyadh. Now, about 10 days ago, we had the first artist impressions of that facility. The Diriyah Opera House is not just one opera house, not just one venue, but four venues in one. It's almost a cultural campus in the Diria area of Riyadh there was a very nice video released including the architects from Norway and others as well and I was watching the video last night preparing for this and who should pop up in the <laughs> aforementioned video that our guest who sits before us he had a speaking part in the video so a uh, clip number six we have today about Jasper Hope is Jasper
0: Hope
3: The Royal Commission for Riyadh City, the vision is very simple. We want to bring a world-class opera house, a series of world-class stages, right here to the heart of the capital, the heart of the kingdom, and indeed the heart of the Middle East.
1: Bold plans, Jasper. So it's going to open its doors in about, what, four or five years' time. So you've got a bit of time to work on. That What kind of world-class talent are you going to bring there? We've touched on this before, and Brandy's asked you about the type of acts that could work in Riyadh. It will be different to Dubai. It will be different to Muscat. Subtly different, but it will be different. It will be different to Abu Dhabi, will it not?
3: It, it will indeed. There, there will be a new audience. It has to be developed. I need to learn a little bit more about what sort of things they're going to want and, and in what quantities. Um, but ultimately... Uh, These places, as I say, are are expressions of artistic excellence. You have to bring fantastic quality product if you want to attract people to visit them, and that's what we plan to do. In terms
1: of tourists, we know, you, and you've talked about London and New York as being two great cultural capitals when it comes to the performing arts, but a huge part of their audiences for Broadway or the West End are tourists. I mean, I don't know on a random Friday night what percentage of people filling seats on Broadway or the West End will be, but my, my strong suspicion it will be well over half will be tourists from out of town. Riyadh doesn't yet have that
3: tourist base does it? How significant is that? How will you manage that? Uh, You're absolutely right. Um, All I would say is that the other half is local, and that's almost more important to begin with. You know, in the UK, in the US, across Europe, across the world, uh, it's not just the capital that has a fantastic venue at the heart of its city. All cities have at least one uh, performing arts destination, usually multiple versions, many theatres or concert halls or arenas uh, where culture can be um, performed and enjoyed by audiences. They also have education systems that encourage uh, the learning of musical instruments, the understanding of uh, historical culture and and performance. And building that up is also part of the story here. That needs to happen across the kingdom, not just in Riyadh. And as it does so, I think there will be a much stronger uh, local representation in the audiences for the future. That's not to say tourists aren't important. Of course they are, and, and I'm sure you'll be aware, uh, as part of Saudi Vision 2030 and many other things, there are huge plans for increased numbers of visitors to the kingdom uh, and indeed to the, to the capital. And, of course, they will be part of our thinking for the audience for the for the Royal Opera.
1: And, of course, these things can be demand drivers. It's a spurious example, but I'm going to give it anyway. On Sunday morning, I went to get my hair cut pre-Christmas haircut, and there's normally two barbers who work uh, in the place that I go to, but only one was there. And I said, Mm -hmm. oh, where's your mate Jads? And it was, oh, he's in Riyadh, because he was at the boxing last night. There was, I I forget who was fighting who, but there were quite a few big names on the card, weren't there? And he was a tourist precisely because there was an event happening. Now, in this case, it was sport, but it could be culture. You and I were chatting off air a couple of minutes ago. You asked me had I been to Saudi Arabia recently, I said it was about a year ago, and I went for an event. In my case, it was football. It was when Riyadh All-Stars, Cristiano Ronaldo, played against Paris Saint-Germain and and Lionel Messi. It was an event that took me there. And similarly, the the, the supply of these cultural events that you put on will generate its own demand. You're not going to be putting Taylor Swift on, I wouldn't imagine, at, at that venue. But if you had Hamilton in Riyadh, Brandy, would you be getting on a flight to Riyadh with your friend to go and watch Hamilton in Riyadh at the Opera House in 2029?
2: Well, you know, funny enough, I am planning A, um, that's what I'm going to do for my birthday. We were discussing this last night. Um, but then also B, I'm planning a Saudi road trip, which are not words that I, four or five years ago, would have thought I'd be putting together.
3: Well, there's plenty to see, uh, and it is a big country, and it's a fascinating one to start to explore. And the cultural dimension uh is coming i mean it has a long way to go but even now along with those sporting events there are cultural ones the the middle beast festival happened a week or two ago huge names from the world of music metallica and, and others uh, performing and that too draws tourists from around the region to to that you know production it's extraordinary uh, and there will just be more and more of that uh, including in venues like the the opera house well, the venue itself
1: is important as well. We, we know these venues are important. The Dubai Opera House, Sydney Opera House, perhaps the most famous of them all as, a, as an architectural icon, but others as well. They, people go to go to these places not just to, to watch a performance, but just because they are destinations, they are venues. You, it's, it's place-making, isn't it? And this is going to be a significant place. Have a listen to this person, someone I'm sure you know, the architect Sarah Alisa. She's a, a Saudi architect, and in the video that I mentioned that you were in showcasing the new building or the plans for the new building, she's quoted in it. Now, it's a Norwegian architecture firm that are doing the, the master plan for the building, but they've brought in local architects and local designers to advise on local context, and this is one of them, Sarah Alisa.
3: When we first found out about the project, the SNOWETA team approached us and we were honored to be asked to join the design consortium and to be able to provide a local knowledge on a contextual Najdi architecture. And of course this was an incredible opportunity to showcase our rich history in music and performance and to be able to create a special space that celebrates that.
1: And you've said one of the differences between your time at, at Dubai Opera and Dilia Opera is that you've been brought in very much in the pre-design stage. With Dubai Opera, MR had designed it, or Yanis Ross, the architect had yeah. designed it. It was almost built when you were brought in. Fine, great, you know, not quite plug and play, but almost. Yeah. But you're, you've been there for a couple of years already. So you've been involved in the design of the, of the hmm. building. How significant
3: is that? It's been an amazing opportunity, and, and why it's so exciting to be there uh, before the d- design competition even began to to help create the original brief for that. Uh, then to work with the contestants in the competition. Ultimately, the the winner, Sneheta, was chosen, and to work with them over the past nine or ten months, uh, you know, dealing with the the design issues, and watching them uh, collaborate with Sin Architects, the the locals uh, firm that you mentioned. Uh, And having their influence from a uh, a truly um, local Riyadh, local Diriyah aspect, the Najdi architecture, uh, was very important. From the beginning, it was um, envisaged that this would be an evolution of uh, Najdi architecture. It wasn't just going to be the same as you see in Diriyah already with the the mud building um, history that they've had. It was to take that on a couple of hundred years and see what might Najdi architecture look like today if it had been allow to develop in a kind of fluid way and that's what you're you're getting with uh, with this design it certainly
1: looks spectacular but we are going to have to wait 2020 what uh 2028 we will be open. <laughs> okay fine well if we're all still around by then we look forward to it
0: catch up on the business headlines with the bite-sized business breakfast
2: with absolutely the best walk-on music.
1: <laughs> Jasper Hope, advisor to the Royal Commission for Riyadh City. It's been great fun having you with us. Thanks very much indeed, Jasper. Thank you so much. So that was Nessun Dharma. That was Luciano Pavarotti singing it. You're not going to get him for the opening of the Diria Opera House because, sadly, he is the late, great Luciano Pavarotti. You did have one of his mates, Plácido Domingo, for the opening night at the Dubai Opera House back in 2016. Can you believe it? it's almost a decade ago? Well, not quite, but getting on for that. What kind of act can you imagine opening night 2028 at the Diria Opera House?
3: I think opera houses have to open with opera. They can do all sorts of other things, but they're there to celebrate the magic that is opera. Uh, it has to be an opera star, an opera production, ideally. Um, but if not, then at least a, a gala concert.
1: We look forward to that one with bated Breath.
2: And we have had such a blast, not just speaking to Jasper this morning, um, but also speaking throughout the week to Dame Heather McGregor, to Sunil John, um, to Paul Griffiths as well. All of our Christmas guest co-hosts, it is something that we absolutely will be continuing as our Christmas tradition, will we not, Richard Dean?
1: We've started it and so we will finish.
2: (laughs) For years to come. Thank you very much to Jasper Hope and thank you to all of you for listening. See you next year.